if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is now underway. Eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for joining us on AM 1420. The answer for this very first morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2021. Sorry, not in an April uh, Fool's joking mood today. There are too many important things we have to discuss. Our culture is under serious attack. Quite frankly, our republic is under serious attack. So with the goal in mind of saving it, let's welcome Dr. Everett Piper back to our program now. Dr. Piper is a columnist for the Washington Times. He's a former university president. He's a radio host. He's the author of the bestseller, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. And his new book, the sequel, is out in, what, 12 days. Uh, on April 13th, it, re- it is released. Grow up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. As always, it's a pleasure to join you. Pre-orders for the book, right? Can be uh, placed where? Yes, you can go to Amazon.com, you can go to Barnes & Noble, you can go to any online bookstore. I'd prefer you use Amazon.com because that's where the national rankings will come from. But you can go to Grow Up, just Google it, Grow Up, Everett Piper, that'll take you to the book, and you can pre-order it right now. And I would ask this, national rankings are highly dependent on getting people to actually go and give a book review. So if you buy the book, and please do, then go to the website for Amazon.com, grow up, and give a quick book review, hopefully a five-star rating, and then just say something simple like, great book. That's all you need to do. I need several hundred of those to push the book into the next phase of bestseller ranking. Good indeed, and I will encourage my uh, listeners to to all uh, to help you with that. Um, I, although I'm reticent to ever criticize a man of your intellect and your uh, knowledge, um, I will advise maybe that we change the vernacular you used there when you told people to look look this up. You said Google it. We don't Google around here anymore. We don't support Uh-oh. the Google platform. We don't support uh, this very, very dangerous organization. So we'll tell people to search it, or we'll tell people to bing it, or we'll tell people to duck, duck, go it. But around here, we don't Google anymore. Good for you. 
I stand corrected, and rightfully so. Thank you. I, knew, I, I knew you'd agree, because you know, and I slipped earlier in the first hour, caught myself immediately. I said, just Google, and then I stopped myself and said, nope, don't Google, do this. So it's hard, because it's become a verb. It's become the, you know, the, uh, the verb of choice for when you are searching for something is to Google it, but we have to uh, break ourselves of that habit if we are to take away some of the power we have given that, uh, that company. All right, Dr. Piper, a lot to get into today. Let's dive right into co- counter-genocide. I was teasing this story a little bit earlier in the first hour of the broadcast. Broadcast. And I said, you know, when one thinks of what they're teaching to California students um, as a part of their, uh, uh, the, you know, their new curriculum, um, counter genocide sounds like a good thing because to counter something is to oppose it. So to counter genocide would mean would mean we oppose genocide. I think that's probably something we can all agree on, but that's not what it means, and that's not what they are teaching the kids, six million students in public schools in California. What does counter-genocide mean, Doctor? Well, again, uh, this is a curriculum. This is not an April Fool's story. This is a true story. It's a curriculum that's being promoted and will be approved in the state of California, which educates over 6 million youth per year in the public school system. They're now incorporating in the curriculum a Black Lives Matter type, critical race theory type, intersectionality, white privilege curriculum, that bemoans the colonialization of the West, of Europe, and specifically America, actually calls for chanting and giving prayers to the Aztec god of human sacrifice and cannibalism, I'm not kidding, is in there. And as part of that, they call for a counter-genocide, which would be a reverse genocide, a reverse reaction, the comeuppance that is due colonialism. In other words, they're calling for violence against white Christians, colonialists, who ruined the North American continent by bringing Christianity to its shores. Counter-genocide is not fighting against genocide. It's calling for the reverse of what happened under white Christian rule. It's calling to reverse that and basically bring a counter-genocide upon white Christianity. Quoting from your article last week in the Washington Times, Dr. Piper, you quote Chris Rufo of the Discovery Institute, California's ethnic studies model instructs students to challenge racist, bigoted, discriminatory, imperialist, colonial beliefs and critique white supremacy, racism, and other forms of power and oppression, and to teach young people that the mindset of every single immigrant coming on the, to the shores of early colonial America was Eurocentric, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal, heteropatriarchal, and anthropocentric. So in other words, all evil came to this continent in the form of whiteness, and that's what must be wiped out now uh, in this in this counter-genocide call. Um, what I want to know is, is there anybody who is responding to this in California before their kids are taught to try to wipe out white Christians? I don't know. I don't live in California, so I'm not sure what's going on there. I haven't read anything other than Rufo's work, which says this is nonsense and we need to stand against it. We've been so anesthetized. We have become the frog in the kettle so badly in our culture that when we hear this nonsense, we think, oh, that's just going to happen in the crackpot, egghead world of academics on the crazy left coast. No, people, no. You know that the 1619 Project is being incorporated into schools in your own backyard in Ohio and here in Oklahoma. It's the same crazy stuff. It's the same critical race theory, intersectionality, white privilege, us against them, 
neo-Marxist class struggle that is incorporated into Black Lives Matter and all things therein. It's the same thing. It is fueled by vengeance and vice. It is not the virtue of our constitutional republic. It is not the values of a Judeo-Christian ethic. In fact, they despise those things, and they want to overthrow them. And this is not just California. What happens in California ain't going to stay in California. It's going to be in your own backyard. No question about that. And to that end, let's let's kind of transition to your most recent column, because this is going to be forced curriculum in schools. Like you said, it's not a one-day you know project. It's not a presentation. It's not a day's training. This is going to be ongoing curricula in, uh, curriculum in the uh, uh, public schools of California. So it begs the question, which you wrote in this week's column for the Washington Times, Mr. President, why bother sending our kids back to school? Uh, you taught we have all. Those of well, I shouldn't say all, but those of us who actually value education and value the socialization of our children as well as the education, things you cannot get from a Zoom screen, things you must get in person. You have to be able to have human contact. You have to be able to have back and forth discussions with people, including teachers and students. We've all been saying, get our kids back to school. Get our kids back to school. But Dr. Piper, as you write, what are they going to get when they get there? Maybe they're safer at home based on the indoctrination that awaits them inside those walls. Well, as you know, I set the context for that article by basically quoting President Joe Biden in his one and only press conference that he's conducted since being inaugurated into office, where in his brief comments before he opened up to the press for question and answers, which were canned and prepared, by the way, that's another story, another time, which I'm sure you've covered. But he gave his brief introductory comment, his monologue, if you will. One of his primary emphases in those comments was we need to get our kids back in school. And he's working so aggressively to do that. Well, my question is why? Why? What do you want them to learn in those schools when you put them back in those classrooms? Do you want them to learn intersectionality? Do you want them to live excuse me, to learn that all people of a certain pigmentation of skin are evil and bad and racist by definition? Is that what you want them to learn? Do you want them to learn the lessons of Hannah Nicole Jones, who calls people barbaric devils and bloodsuckers on our community? She actually said Only that white people, by the way. Not only white people. Yeah, she said that about white whites. People. Right, thank you. She says that about white people. How about Sarah Young of the New York Times, who has called white people, um, she said that we smell bad, okay? Therefore, we're bad people, and we should be canceled. She uses the word canceled. What does that mean? So my point is this. What's taught in the classroom will be practiced in our culture. If Joe Biden wants to send our students back into these schools to learn this garbage, then garbage in and garbage out, and that will not stay in the classroom. It will then enter our culture, our courtrooms, our Congress, our communities, and even our churches. The chickens will come home to roost, and that's why we're suffering the mess that we're in right now is because we haven't learned that lesson and we haven't called our school systems to account. So you're you're you've painted us into a corner, though, haven't you? And by you, I mean by pointing out what they are doing. Um, do we keep our kids home? Is it better to keep our kids home and away from all of this? We've been screaming for twelve months of of, of lockdowns and school closures that it's better for our kids to be there. Um, what do we do? Because it's not going to be an overnight thing to scream at our school boards and get them to change their curricula and stop the indoctrination. 
Well, number one, I think we underestimate the power that we do have. It's amazing what somebody emailed me this week and asked that question. What do, you, what do we do? And I said, number one, say it once, say it twice, say it three times, never give up, never give up, follow the lesson of Winston Churchill, fight, and don't stop saying what's true. Don't stop challenging. Number one, be relentless, be tenacious, be doggedly committed to your message. Get Sink your teeth in, be a pit bull, sink your teeth into this particular issue with your school board and with your principal, and don't let go. Number two, get 20 other people, that's all you need. 15 to 20 other people to do the exact same thing, and you will change this mess. I've seen it happen. A small group of people tenaciously committed to tackling this nonsense can change the course of your local school or your local church. You know, here's so the, here's the real problem with that, though, Dr. Piper, is, and, and this is going to be kind of stereotyping, but it's not intended to be. It's simply a recognition of demographics and statistics. The most densely populated areas in America, the urban centers, if you will, where these kinds of things are being taught, there aren't parents there to be, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, activists, if you will, in their kids' educations, to be at the school board meetings, to be, so, you know, we all know the, the, the statistics of 70 plus, 75 percent of of, uh, of uh, minority children are growing up in single-parent households. They're in these urban centers, and these are the public schools that are also, in addition to the suburban, but they're teaching these, these you know, indoctrinatory lessons here. So the parents aren't there to fight this, I guess, at the school board level is the point that I'm making in a lot of the, the most densely populated areas. Well, I know you need to take, take a break, so I'm going to be very, very brief in answering that. Go ahead and finish your thought there, Dr. Piper. Okay, my point is this. Everybody listening to this show can do something about it. You may be right about what you just said, but everybody listening right now can take responsibility for their own backyard, their own home, and their own kids. So do so. And if you do, you can start correcting the problem. Protect your own kids. You may not be able to protect everybody else that you just mentioned, but protect your own and do something about it. That would be my first response. Now that is a great segue into our next topic after this break. Protect your own and make sure that you have the right to decide how to protect your own. We're going to talk about vaccine passports with Dr. Piper next. Okay, 1025 now. I've got five good minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper here to talk about this uh, most important issue. Um, Joe Biden is already working with uh, private companies trying to figure out a way to make this a national, a federal policy of a vaccine passport being required to be shown before you can get into public arenas, public areas, travel, etc., uh, mass transit. They're already doing something like this starting tomorrow in New York, requiring either a vaccination or a negative test in a short period of time before you can go into certain places. Dr. Piper, when it comes to liberty, when it comes to our freedom to move around and to make our own decisions on our health, and moreover, our privacy on those decisions, we simply cannot allow a vaccine passport to take place. What are your thoughts? I agree with you 100%. I'm not going to get the vaccine. Um, I know people who are. I have medical doctor friends who have chosen to do so. Mm-hmm. I also have medical doctor friends who have told me they're not going to do it. I have a relative who is in the pharmacy industry who has said, I don't have a problem with the ethical production of it. I disagree with him on that. But he said, I'm still not going to get the vaccine because I don't want to be a guinea pig. And here's the other issue. 
it is a fact that we're being used as guinea pigs because they haven't had time to test this and to determine what the side effects are of this particular drug. There just hasn't been the objective period of time necessary to figure out what's going on. Why would we allow ourselves to be guinea pigs? Why would we allow our children to be guinea pigs? And why would we allow the government to intrude into our privacy, violate HEPA, and demand that we now start disclosing publicly what our medical records are? This runs in the face, flies in the face, of everything the left has been telling us about the privacy of our medical procedures. When I was a college president, I had to honor HEPA rules and laws. I could not violate that in the way I dealt with my students. And now they're telling me that I'm going to do the exact opposite, that I can't allow a kid to enroll in class unless he publicly discloses what vaccines and what medical procedures and what diseases and whatnot he has or has not had. This is something that we must fight because it is a compromise of our basic liberties. Now, everything you said I agree with spot on, particularly the part about getting into colleges. A lot of colleges are going to require, because they already require certain vaccinations anyway. You have to show proof of immunization from meningitis, polio, and other vaccines that most most of us are given as children. Um, and, and I don't even know if that's okay, but if it is okay, do they not have a precedent then, Dr. Piper, to say, we require that and you were okay with it, now we're going to require this as well? I don't know what you said. I haven't heard your commentary on this, and I think that is a sticky issue because I think um, we have opened up Pandora's box in the, way, in the way we've dealt with vaccines in the past and records and the requirement for school entrance, for example. So Pandora's box was cracked open, and maybe we're suffering the consequences of that right now. But that doesn't mean we continue to go down the path that was wrong to go down in the first place. Do I really have to show proof of vaccination to go get my groceries at Walmart? Do I really have to show proof of vaccination to go to the theater or go to a ball game? That's what these people are suggesting. We've never gone down that path with smallpox or with chickenpox or with the measles vaccinations. So I think it's time for us to take a step back and evaluate what kind of freedoms we're willing to compromise for the sake of this talk of being vaccinated against disease. And here's my, and I make this point in my book, Bob, mm-hmm. grow up, life isn't safe, but it's good. We need to stop worshiping at the altar of safety and recognize that it is children who whine and cry about the need to be safe all the time, safe from disease, safe from risk, safe from challenges, and safe from their feelings being hurt. Adults relish freedom. Children are those that hunker down and want to feel safe and comfortable all the time. We need to grow up as a culture and recognize that adults fight for liberty. They don't accept just being confined in their little cubicles of safety. I, I agree wholeheartedly, and, and adults also ought to be trusted to make up their own minds and to make up their own choices. That's where I am. I am not going to tell anybody, do not get the vaccine. It's a terrible idea. I am not going to encourage anybody to get it. I myself am choosing not to get it. I am encouraging my family members not to get it because I have too many questions. For goodness sakes, it's called an experimental vaccine. That should tell you something about the proof of its uh, you know, of its side effects and its long-term effects. We don't know what they are yet. So that's, but that's just my opinion if somebody else wants to get it i will encourage them but under no circumstances 
should a private company like an airline be allowed to tell me I can't participate and partake of their services if I don't have proof that I did take this medical procedure? Uh, and certainly that the government of the United States cannot, or or any individual state cannot tell us that either. Uh, 30 seconds to wrap it, Dr. Piper. They're yours. Agree 100%. Agree 100%. Walmart shouldn't be able to have access to my medical records. The local gas station, the local theater, the local sports team should not have access to my medical records. There's nothing, there's nothing in constitutional law or decisions thus far that has given those private organizations that authority, and we should not give them that, that authority now while we subject ourselves to being part and parcel of an experiment, an experimental drug. Dr. Everett Piper, bringing it as only he can. Doctor, terrific conversation. Thank you so much. I wish you a very blessed holy weekend and a blessed Easter coming up on Sunday as well, and we'll talk to you next week. Happy Easter. Thank you, sir. All right, that's Dr. Everett Piper. From that, we move to Minneapolis. What's going on in the Derek Chauvin trial? We're going to talk to Joel Gilbert, who studied very, very closely the George Zimmerman trial in the death of Trayvon Martin. He sees some similarities there. We're going to talk about what those are coming up on 1420 The Answer. Ten thirty-six. now. We continue on this Thursday, the first morning of the month of April. Uh, sometimes we might do April Fool's type jokes, but we're just not in the mood to do that today. By the way, today also happens to be Holy Thursday, as I uh, mentioned to Dr. Piper as we approach the Easter weekend. So this is an extraordinarily important and blessed time on the uh, Christian calendar. So I certainly hope everyone takes time to reflect today and tomorrow on Good Friday. And then, of course, uh, have a blessed weekend as we celebrate the risen Lord on Sunday. All right, uh, I want to pivot now uh, from uh, the conversation with Dr. Piper about vaccine, passports, and more to the ongoing race uh, divide in this country, and it's being played out before our very eyes in the form of this uh, trial, sort of, sort of, in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police department, or uh, a police officer, rather, who is being charged with uh, murdering George Floyd last Memorial Day. Uh, this trial is going on in Minneapolis, and uh, analysts are looking at it and wondering what's going to happen if there is an acquittal. I don't think there's much of a chance of that because of the emotion involved and the racial uh, reckoning that this country has undergone. So to analyze this for us, we're bringing on Joel Gilbert now. He is the producer and filmmaker who uh, brought you the Trayvon hoax, unmasking the witness fraud that divided America. We talked to him uh, at length when that came out last year. You can uh, take a look at it at uh, Trayvonhoax.com. And, Joel, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you? Hey, great to be back. Thank you. So I'm looking at some of the notes that you're offering here, Joel, about this uh, situation in Minneapolis, and you say you see some parallels to the Zimmerman trial and the Trayvon hoax. And, I'm, you know, as soon as I saw this and before we booked you, I was thinking to myself, there's not a whole heck of a lot similar here other than the deceased being a black male. Uh, George Zimmerman was a citizen, civilian rather, um, who was acting in his capacity, if you want, as a neighborhood watch guy. Uh, and he was underneath a furious Trayvon Martin who was punching and pounding and beating him <laughs> uh, when he shot from his back to get uh, Trayvon Martin off of him, shot him in the chest. Derek, uh, Derek Chauvin, on the other hand, had a handcuffed George Floyd on the ground and was kneeling on his neck for nine minutes. So that's my setup to where are the parallels? 
Well, pretty much uh, almost everything except for what you said. Uh, (laughs) Well, you can start with, of course, uh, Benjamin Crump uh, representing the family of the deceased person along with Al Sharpton uh, having a big role. And the biggest uh, similarity, of course, is that here we have an incident where someone is is killed and uh, the media and the politicians immediately proclaim that it's because of racism, even though there's no evidence whatsoever that the person that was killed was because of their race only. Uh, They also proclaim that the justice system must charge the person with murder, and they must be convicted. And if they're not convicted, then that means the entire system is corrupt. So that's what really this whole thing started with the George Zimmerman case, uh, with Trayvon Martin case, where, if you recall, and it's in my film, The Trayvon Hoax, where in that case, which was different, is the local police actually completely investigated that incident and exonerated Zimmerman. They said they looked at um, eyewitness statements, uh, physical evidence, 911 calls. It's over, self-defense. And it was only when Benjamin Crump came and said that he talked to this mysterious girl over the phone that said some things that were the opposite of the actual eyewitnesses that they managed to get Zimmerman arrested. Uh, And later, of course, he was again uh, exonerated. So now they've changed the system such that the state is actually intimidated by the mob, by Ben Crump and Al Sharpton, Black Lives Matter. They're now intimidated to simply charging someone right up front with murder and overcharging them. They did that the same in Atlanta with that uh, police officer in the Richard Brooks case where they simply overcharged them with murder. And, of course, a year later when we go to trial, as with the Zimmerman case, uh, we find out that everything we were told at the beginning was not true. There's no basis for racism. The incident wasn't really as it was depicted. Uh, the biggest problem, of course, with the George Floyd case is they actually had body cam footage, and the entire um, protest of Ferguson, if you remember, Ferguson, Missouri, was... The demand was, we want body cameras, we want body cameras. That, that's all we want is body cameras. So once they had the body cameras, uh, Keith Ellison, the AG of Minnesota, uh, refused to release the body cam, and that would have completely debunked the entire little 20-second video that looked pretty bad. I'm sorry, the eight-minute video uh, that looked pretty bad of him sitting on top of him, but it would have shown a whole different kind of struggle going on prior to that. So we just saw... Ben Crump yesterday uh, having a big rally outside the courthouse trying to intimidate the jury, saying that, look, he must be found guilty, no justice, no peace. So it's actually gone to a higher level where the mob demands uh, an indictment and gets their indictment for murder immediately. The person is overcharged. There's a false claim of racism with no basis. That is similar to the Zimmerman case. And I think we're going to see Chauvin exonerated because... uh, there's no basis for the murder charges, and I think that's all going to come out in the in the trial. But unfortunately, this time there'll be no police left in Minnesota because they've defunded them yeah. to defend people well, from the rioters. Let me let me dive into some of that uh, with you. We're talking to Joel Gilbert, a filmmaker, the Trayvon Hoax online at thetrayvonhoax.com. Um, I agree with you when you say there is no basis for race involved in this because it's been a calendar year now, and uh, roughly. 
And we have not yet heard anything about racism in Derek Chauvin's background and his private life, any writings, anything that he has said that indicate that he has any sort of racial bias in his head or heart at all. Uh, certainly nothing was said on the scene. So the only thing that makes this, you know, potentially a race-based case is the fact that George Floyd happened to be black, uh, which is, you know, very different than what happened uh, in Dallas, Texas with Tony Timpa a few years ago, who was white and who died in the very same circumstances with the officer's knees on his back, uh, for about 14 minutes. Nobody said a word about that one. It did not draw uh, widespread condemnation. It certainly didn't lead to cities burning. But in this case, George Floyd is black, and therefore this had to have been racially motivated. So knowing that, and you say you think he's going to be uh, acquitted. Correct. Um, what about the jury that is terrified? I mean, we all remember what happened after Rodney King's uh, case, and the officers there were all acquitted. I mean, those jurors were hounded, harassed, and terrified, and uh, death threats were made. You you probably saw some of the jury selection in this case, Joel, right. in which people admitted, "I don't want to be on this jury because uh, well, I, don't, I don't I don't know if I can do it objectively, knowing you know what uh, what's at stake here." So, right? Well, why do you, you have that. why do you have confidence that this jury would actually be willing to acquit? Eric Chauvin. Well, it's a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, I'll give you an example. Is I did talk to the, as the only person actually to ever interview the forewoman of the Zimmerman jury, and she told me that uh, the the case ruined her life, and she lives in fear to this day because she said even though our names aren't published in the media, there's hundreds of people in court and witnesses and audience and. They see them and they recognize them. And she said, I go to the hairdresser and I could see someone staring at me. And I knew they recognized me from the, from the trial and all the passion about that, that case. So these jurors have a reason to fear. They live in Minneapolis. They're going to be seen and recognized, uh, despite the fact that their name is not in the news. Uh, but you still need 12 people to convict of, of murder. And the children was so overcharged with murder, first-degree murder, second-degree murder, without any context, without any investigation. Normally, you investigate these things for weeks or months before you would, uh, the DA would actually file charges. And the ridiculous, ironic thing is, again, the mob who demands you know, the person be arrested in the Zimmerman case, we just want an arrest. That's what they said, even Trayvon's parents. We, we just want an arrest. We don't. We just want the court system to deal with this. We only want an arrest. And when Zimmerman was acquitted again, exonerated as the police had exonerated him, they said, no, an arrest is not enough. We have to have a conviction. Now, that's just simply mob rule in a lynch mob. So you need 12 people to agree that Chauvin intended to murder this guy and wanted to murder him. But the funny thing is uh, Chauvin was within a 24 hours he was charged with murder. They even charged the other officers with murder, even though they had not much to do with it. Yeah. But the mob still wasn't enough. They still said, okay, we're still going to riot and burn down the country, even though the guy was charged with murder. Yeah, they did so that. You, they they did that even though there was a charge, not an acquittal, just a charge. You right. know, they, well, I mean, normally, like I said, you know, in in the, in the King situation, in the Rodney King situation, there was anger and outrage when the video came out, and a lot of people wanted, you know, a lot of people in the uh, in the Los Angeles urban communities, you know, wanted to to do some of those things. But at least they waited until the trial was over, and then once they heard the officers were all acquitted, that's when they unleashed their fury. In this case, they started before, you know, right. before. Any Anything was even close to being, uh, you know, charges yeah, but, filed and, right. and and trial held or anything else. They said, let's burn it now just because it happened. Right. Now, see, what this all is, is getting to, this is all political, from the Zimmerman case to the Ferguson, Missouri, Baltimore, Freddie Gray. 
Michael Brown. It's all political. There's a political narrative of the Democrat Party and the media that want to push this idea to, of inflaming minorities and black voters to vote Democrat. Uh, they want to carry this narrative that everything that's not right about anybody's life, uh, it, there's a racial scapegoat for this. They cannot defend uh, the terrible, failing Democrat policies in all these urban cities that have been uh, controlled by Democrats, often with black mayors and black police chiefs and so on for 50, 60 years, with uh, the drug culture, single motherhood, horrible education system, no opportunities, high taxes. They can't get anybody to vote for that. So the only way they can do it is to try to say, well, there's a boogeyman, there's a racial scapegoat. And the racial scapegoat in the Zimmerman case, uh, it was Trayvon's parents that kept getting kicked out of school, getting suspended, and instead of his mother locking him down and grounding him, she'd kick him out on the street every time. And, of course, he went up 200 miles away and got in a fight with somebody. Uh, and Zimmerman, for the Martin family, was the racial scapegoat for their parenting deficiencies. For the failure of Democrat policies, America is the racial scapegoat. So they have to say, well, the system, you can't really see racism, but it's in the system. Or as Obama and Reverend Wright like to say, well, it's in your Joel, DNA. Joel, hold on. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me get in on this a little bit uh, yeah. and go further. You have said, uh, or at least written, that you yeah. think that Democrats, and because you're talking about the system here, you think that Democrats, and in particular Black Lives Matter organizers, want him to be acquitted because, oh, absolutely. because, because it will prove that the system is broken and, and that it's racist and, and that there's no justice, no peace. Right. Zimmerman did them no good in jail. Only if he's out on the street, they can say the system has to be destroyed and broken down and we're going to have a new system and change America. That's the radical left uh, agenda. If you look at Black Lives Matter website, it has nothing to do with helping black people. It's the same agenda from the white liberal socialists of the weather underground. No jail, no police, right. uh, you know, all that. No, pro no private property, all Marxist principles. Right. But but, uh, but but you really think that they're hoping for a... Because, you know, it's, you can't judge everything about the mood of the country from online, but, you know, it's a little barometer, I suppose. Um, you know, they're freaked out. They're screaming, you know, he's obviously guilty. It's overwhelming. The evidence... Oh, on CNN, they're saying the evidence is overwhelming after three days of prosecutorial uh, evidence being offered and witnesses, that it's overwhelming. He's going to be convicted. He's got to be convicted. But you you think that deep down, many of them want him to be acquitted so of that... Of course. Uh, Look, so these people can, are... They're total hypocrites. Uh, you know, 10 black kids can get shot and killed in Chicago over a weekend, and you don't hear a word. So it's only political. They're literally political tools of these white leftist liberals out of the 60s that uh, promoted this radical agenda. And uh, they definitely want Chauvin to be, uh, to be found not guilty so they can continue their assault on the American system, the Constitution, the assault on the police, eliminate the police, and... Uh, their goals are, have nothing to do with helping anybody other than achieving this radical agenda. But you're, predict, you're predicting an acquittal, though. Is, I, that based on, is, that, is that based on evidence you've seen in the first three days of the trial at all, or just, you know, over, over, overarching uh, well, no, feeling of the trial? Well, several things. Evidence I've reviewed over the past year. Uh, the fact that when you look at the charges, he's definitely overcharged, which is part of the... Well, but they added manslaughter. They added manslaughter, uh, I think, second-degree manslaughter, too. So if they don't get second-degree murder or third-degree murder, well, they put can it this get way. him on manslaughter. Well, let's say he's only convicted of second- or third-degree manslaughter and gets, uh, you know, uh, 
three to ten months in jail or something, that will still be a riot because Agreed. they'll say, well, that's that's no justice. The, Agreed. The, the mob, look at Ben Crump on CNN. No justice, no peace. They're demanding a lynch mob. It's a lynch mob. We want a lynching. Anything short of this, lynching this guy uh, is is no peace, no justice, no peace. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what the jury thinks of the dueling autopsies, because the original autopsy said no asphyxiation death. This was the death by overdose of fentanyl uh, combined with heart disease and uh, hypertension uh, and methamphetamines, which was also in the system. And then they got a second uh, autopsy done, a private one paid for by George Floyd's family or Brent Crump, as far as we know, uh, until they found a, a medical examiner to say it was asphyxiation. So it's really well, going well, to come down. Probably point out, to what the jury believes. Go ahead. Yeah, that second autopsy was on an autopsy. It was that old guy that shows up on Fox News and CNN uh, who's like 85 years old, and he yeah. did it over the TV. He just he didn't actually examine anything. So this is I part thought of, there was a, I thought there was an actual second medical no, examiner who no, examined the body. No, there was not. There was okay. not. Okay, uh, well, then, then we'll, we'll have to watch and see how this plays out. Maybe when it's all over with, we'll uh, bring you back on and, and see what your powers of prognostication looked like. And look okay, at I appreciate that. it. Joel, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. All right, thanks again. Joel Gilbert, filmmaker, the Trayvon Hoax uh, film, which, of course, was really, really huge when it came out. And uh, it's available for free now on YouTube. If you ever want to sit down and watch that, it's really, really eye-opening. And it really did change America. It really changed America in a number of ways particularly as it pertains to race relations. 1051, final segment coming up. We have 1420 The Answer. All right, 1055, final segment is always a short one on this program. So uh, I appreciate you being with us. I want to... uh, I'm going to actually have to ask for that music to be faded down for a second here because... um, I've gathered a few people uh, here in the studio, and they just happen to be a few of the closest friends of uh, our producer extraordinaire, Marcy Peebles. And uh, my friends here in the studio have a message for Marcy. See, there's a lot of them. They're really loud, too. Marcy. Happy birthday, That's what we wanted to do. That's also what we wanted to do. See, just a few people gathered together. Once a little birdie whispered in my ear about 30 minutes ago that today was Marcy Peebles' birthday. I called all of Marcy's friends. And invited them to the studio, and about 14,000 of them are right here singing to Marcy. So, Marcy, a very happy birthday to you. It's not a joke. It's not an April Fool's joke. We really do wish you a happy birthday. And we do help you. Hope you celebrate throughout the year. I want to take a phone call to wrap up the show, but I kind of can't turn this song on. Celebrate, Marcy Peebles. Have a great day. Charlie! Charlie, the politically incorrect mechanic, can celebrate the birthday with us, too. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, hey Bob, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go start going by the politically correct mechanic now. I'm sick and tired of you being such a racist uh, science denier. Uh, <laughs> and I want you to know I went and got my COVID vaccine, and I can't wait to uh, you know display my uh, passport like a proud American just in order to drive across state lines and walk out of my house. And I want to thank Biden for providing this vaccine, who was legitimately elected, uh, and he's best president since Obama. 
and uh, Biden 2024. <laughs> I, I, I said we weren't going to do any April Fool's jokes today because it was too. <laughs> it, uh, everything is too serious. But you know what, man? I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Happy birthday, you... Marcy, and happy Easter, everybody. No, he didn't mean that, Marcy. Right? You don't mean that because it's April Fool's Day. How do we know if we can trust you, Charlie? Oh, stop it. <laughs> Thanks for the call, my friend. I like getting the show and a chuckle. That was excellent. Uh, yes, uh, I second everything that uh, Charlie said. I, I, I mean, most shows, I mean, really, I've been doing radio for about 24 years now. And on April 1st, I will. I'll do something stupid or, or, or set somebody up or make a fall, you know, fake news announcement. But then again... It's kind of like, how do you decipher fake news from real news in 2021 anyway? Anyway, normally I'll do, and I'll play along here and do something for April Fool's, but today I just felt like there were so many important things going on. There was no time for laughter today. But Charlie, the politically incorrect mechanic, proved me wrong and brought the laughter. Great, great stuff, Charlie. I do appreciate that. All right, that is all the time that we have today. Now listen, we do not have a live show tomorrow because it is Good Friday and it's a Salem Company holiday for obvious reasons. Uh, I hope you were able to reflect and take a little time for yourself tomorrow and reflect on what that day means and then, of course, help us celebrate the risen Lord on, uh, on Sunday. So for tomorrow's show, we'll have a best of show. You're going to have some of the best interviews we've had over the course of the last several months. Relive the moments that you liked, and if you didn't hear them, catch them for the first time. So best of show tomorrow, which means we're back live on Monday. Be well, be safe, have a blessed weekend. Bye-bye.